Hey, as Joel mentioned earlier, we, we're in the Christmas season. We've got things decorated around here. And if you were excited today to start our Christmas series, I'm the bearer of bad news to tell you that we're actually wrapping up our fourth week of our discussion, our series called Less is More, which is about finances and money and what God has to say about that. So you're welcome. Merry Christmas. No, I'm excited. I, I'm excited whenever we get to open God's word and let him instruct us and um, in how we live and how we walk in this world. And so um, when you sat down today, you probably found a card that looks like this. Hang on to that. Um, we're going to need that later today. There's going to be an opportunity for us as a church to respond today. Uh, but first, I want to I start off a little more lighthearted, ask, ask you a question. How many people in here like home renovation shows, like HGTV type stuff? Anybody? A few of them? Okay. My wife loves these shows. They're okay. I'll sit down and I'll enjoy them in her presence. Um, but I can't help but laugh every now and then. It, well, the couple, here's the thing. The, they, whenever they interview the couple, it's the same script every time, right? Like we're on a fixed income. Things are getting a little tight in our house. Um, but we've got a $300,000 renovation budget we'd like to use. And, you know, we could stretch it to 1.5 million if it's the right situation. And you're like, what are these people making? How, how are people living like this? But it gave me a greater appreciation for uh, memes like this. Have you ever seen something like this? I work part-time at a daycare and my husband breeds salamanders. Our budget, 1.3 million. <laughs> we should get into breeding salamanders. That's what I learned from this. Like, what is this person making? Um, we like these shows. They're entertaining, right? We enjoy watching them. Um, but it also, I think, it begins to have a negative impact on some of us. According to a Washington Post story, uh, these shows have contributed to an increased level of dissatisfaction. A growing number of people would say that they are embarrassed by their homes and their own decor. And I think it makes sense, right? Because you sit at home and you watch these shows and you think, wow, that's an amazing home. They've done some great remodeling. And then you look around your house and you're like, hmm, I'd, like you know, I'd like to have that. It makes sense. What about uh, anybody in here watch The Amazing Race? Any Amazing Race? A few people? Okay. Amazing, this, um, the Amazing Race has been around for like 22 years. They're on like their 34th or 35th season. Uh, Haley and I just started getting into watching this, and we enjoy it because we love to see all these different cultures and all these places they travel. If you're not familiar with it, it's like a dozen people who are racing against each other to win a million dollars. And let me tell you, people will do crazy things uh, for money. But here's my favorite quote. My favorite quote from the season we just wrapped up is a couple who said, if we win the million dollars we will finally be able to start the family we always wanted. I think I laughed out loud. Um, and I looked over at my wife and I said, we did this completely wrong, babe. Like the opposite. Like I think we said, hey, we're broke. Want to start a family? Like that's where we were. Um, but why do, people, why do people watch these shows? Why are these shows airing for 22 years and, and ongoing? Because we are fascinated. Um, we, we love dreaming about what would it be like to have Johanna Gaines come in and remodel my house? What would it be like to win a million dollars? What could I do with that? And we're just, we're fascinated with the more. We're fascinated with, with more more stuff and more things. And we, we all have this idea, um, or at least at times have been tempted by the idea that more brings more satisfaction, more joy, more happiness, um, that it brings a level of peace or security. And we think about that, the security and the peace of that extra bit of money could bring to our daily lives or to our future. And the reality is, I do not think that you would be human if at some point you haven't thought about these things. We, we dream about more at times in our life. At the core of who we are, I think we all long for peace and security and joy and happiness. But I hope that you've been learning in our series that we have not been saying that the problem 
is money or that money is evil. There's nothing wrong with having money, making money, spending money, um, traveling, buying a home or enjoying hobbies. There's nothing wrong with any of that. Uh, The purpose of this series is not to make money the enemy, but instead it's more of a challenge of where are you placing your hope? Is our hope in Jesus or is our hope in having more stuff or in the more? And so less is more really means less of what this world has to offer us, and it means more Jesus. And it's really a heavenly perspective. It's a shift in the way that we think, and I can feel the whole room shifting now as we start to talk about money, but that's really what it is. Um, and that's, that's what we want to be about here at Genesis Church. Um, if you're new, you're visiting, I want you to know we want to be more about Jesus, less about ourselves, more about Jesus. I found it interesting, as we've been talking about this series over the last few weeks, how uncomfortable people will get when you start to talk about money, specifically when you start to talk about their money. Um, But here's the the thing. I I realized, you know, this must have been an uncomfortable topic for Jesus, too, because he he addressed this a lot. This must have been an uncomfortable topic for the early church when they they talked about it. We're going to see that as we get into uh, 1 Timothy. But it also reminded me of a really important truth that I think as Christians, as believers, as followers of Jesus, we have to remember, which is God's word is going to make us uncomfortable at times. It is. God's word is going to make us uncomfortable at times. Jesus came to this earth to teach us how to live according to his father's kingdom, not ours or our world's. And so as sons and daughters of God, we said, hey, we're giving up our old way of doing things and we've traded it for God's way. So yeah, when God speaks about how we should live or specifically talks about how we should handle our finances, it's going to make some of us uncomfortable because it's countercultural. That's why when Jesus teaches, um, oftentimes it doesn't make sense to the rest of the world because he's talking about his father's kingdom. And this is true when it comes to any topic, but I think it stings a little bit more um, when God addresses the topic of money because money tends to have a stronghold on the human heart. Over the last few weeks, Jerry has mentioned uh, this passage in Matthew 6 where Jesus is teaching uh, during his Sermon on the Mount and he, he speaks to the crowd and he tells them, that, uh, that you should not store up treasures on the earth, right? But instead, store up for yourself treasures in heaven. And he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so Jesus says that our heart is uniquely attached to our treasure. And if our heart is attached to earthly things or money and stuff, then it's going to long for this world. But if our heart is attached to Jesus, then we're going to long for heavenly things. So over these last several weeks, we've been looking at how God's kingdom counteracts things like greed in our life, want, and fear with things like gratitude, learning how uh, to be grateful, learning contentment, learning how to trust. And this week, we're going to look at what it means to have less pride in our life, and more humility. But as we tackle this last week um, of pride and humility, my hope is that we will remember this is really more about heart surgery, God working on our heart, than it is about how much money is in our bank accounts. Uh, But first, will you pray with me today? God, I thank you for your word, and I thank you for your son. This morning, God, will you work on our hearts? Would we allow you to begin the heart work and um, Father, we we want to respond however you um, want us to respond. Holy Spirit, uh, speak to us individually like you do each and every day. We trust you, and we pray all of this in your Son's name. 
Amen. Well, if you have your Bible with you, turn to 1 Timothy uh, chapter 6 today. If you don't have a Bible, there should be Bibles uh, underneath the seats, maybe in front of you or just below. Grab one of those. And if you don't own a Bible, feel free to take that home today. Um, that's our gift to you. Now, as you turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, uh, I think it's important to recognize this is a letter that the Apostle Paul is writing to Timothy with the purpose of Timothy passing this on to the church family in Ephesus. And in uh, chapter 3, which we don't have time to get into today, verses 14 through 15, we discover that Paul wrote this uh, young church in Ephesus to encourage them and to help them better understand that Je how Jesus wanted them to live and operate in this world. And by the time we get to chapter six, he begins to talk about the incredible responsibility that comes with money and wealth. And in verse seven, he says, listen, you've brought nothing into this world and you're not gonna take any of it with you when you go. In verse 10, he cautions people to be careful about the way that they view their money. And in verse 11, he reminds them to keep their eyes on Jesus as the ultimate goal in everything they do. And then we come to verse 17, and like the entire letter that Paul has written, these words are not only for the church in Ephesus, uh, but they're for us as well. They're for Genesis Church. So uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17, Paul writes, "'Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant.'" Paul's writing these words to the church in Ephesus because we need to recognize this was actually a wealthy city in Ephesus at this time. And so there's a good chance um, that this church represents some serious wealth. But before you count yourself out and think, okay, rich in this present world, not me, so I can check out for a moment, I think we need to remember and consider a few things. Um, if you're going to go home today and use any electricity in your home, if you're going to go home today and use indoor plumbing that you have access to, if you happen to have a bedroom for your car to sleep in this winter, or you work five days a week and you can afford to take two off and still pay the bills, you are wealthier than 98% of the rest of the people on this planet. Um, and so I think these words to Paul, um, this speaks to our church as well to us today. And so Paul says, uh, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Commentator Kent Hughes points out that this word arrogant here is a composite of two Greek words, meaning to think and exalted thoughts. So to cherish high thoughts of yourself. Um, and I do think we need to stop and recognize that Paul is not saying that anyone who is um, Anyone who is rich is by default proud or prideful. He's not saying that. He's also not telling uh, Timothy to condemn those who are wealthy, that he has nothing against money. But instead, he says, we need to be on guard. Those uh, who, ha who are rich need to be on guard that there is this temptation of pride that happens, that, that, bring, that comes about in our life when, when money enters in, that we can, we can put our hope in the wrong things, right? Pride puts hope in oneself. Pride says, I can manage my own life. I can manage my own money. And ultimately, pride does not submit. And pride does not submit specifically to God. Proverbs 16, 18 reminds us of the dangers of pride, right? Pride goes before destruction in the fall, right? Instead, we need a heart of humility. That's God's design for us, um, is to walk in humil humility. Jesus modeled that. Jesus embodied uh, perfectly for us how to live on this earth um, in humility. In Philippians 2, uh, the apostle Paul reminds us that Jesus gave up his heavenly rights, that he laid down his divine privileges, that he took a humble 
position uh, as a slave and was born a human being. Over the next few weeks, right, as we lead up to Christmas, we'll remember the birth of baby Jesus, who submitted himself to the care of a teenage girl who raised him, right? Jesus is this example of humility. In Matthew 20, uh, Jesus said that he did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is our ultimate example of humility. Humility looks like surrender. It puts its hope in God instead of itself or other things. Humility recognizes, God, your ways are so much higher than my own. It admits that it needs a Lord. I need someone who's in charge. I'm not in charge. When we choose less pride and more humility, we're actually aligning our hearts with God. We're placing our hope and our trust in God instead of ourself or our things or our money. And that's why Paul continues saying, so command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides for us with everything for our enjoyment. You see, when we humble ourselves and we put our hope in Jesus, instead of, instead of earthly things, it's actually God who is the one who provides what we need. Um, and he will provide the peace and the satisfaction and the joy and all of those things we long for. It's God who provides those things. Um, and I love how Paul doesn't just say God provides. He says God richly provides for us. He gives us more than we need. And he does it for our enjoyment. And Paul continues in verse 18 and says, so command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. I love the contrast Paul makes. He says, don't be arrogant, don't be conceited or prideful. Instead, do good, care for people, love people, put your faith and your love for Jesus on display um, by the way that you treat other people. Be rich in good deeds, serve others, let God get a hold of our heart, right? And let him influence the way that we're treating other people. But also he says, be generous and willing to share this is something we teach our children, right? Share, share your things. It's a lesson though that's still hard for us to learn as we get older, right? Be generous and willing to share. Paul's talking about giving, giving of our financial resources to be willing to give up. Don't put your hope in riches. Be willing to give and to share what you have. And this is really where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Isn't this where we tense up a little bit and we begin to feel our fists start to clench um, Paul tells Timothy, actually, uh, it says he commands Timothy, command, he tells them, command them to do these things, not like a suggestion, hey, if you think about it or you want to get around to it, Paul mentioned we should maybe think about sharing our stuff. No, he says, command them. Uh, Paul tells Timothy, hey, tell the church to put their money where their heart is. If their heart is with Christ, put their money where their heart is. And why is Paul so passionate about this? Why is Paul so passionate about, why is Genesis Church so passionate about this? Why have we spent four weeks talking about this? Because Jesus is passionate about this. As Paul continues in verse 19, you hear Paul echoing the words of Jesus. He is only just teaching what Jesus taught. In verse 19, he says, in this way, they will lay up or they will store up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. That sounds familiar, right? Sounds similar to the things that Jesus said, don't store, um, don't store your treasure here on this earth, but instead 
in heaven, right? And it continues to come back to who and what has your heart. But I do hope today that you'll find encouraging Jesus doesn't discourage us from storing up treasures. He doesn't. Actually, he does the opposite. He encourages it. Um, he, just, he just wants us to store them where they're going to stand the test of time. Jesus wants us to be wise with the way that we invest. And as residents of heaven, as, as sons and daughters of God's kingdom, we're called to make kingdom investments. That's what Paul's talking about. That's what Jesus taught. Paul continues with these encouraging words saying, in this way, they will lay up, they'll store up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul says a life that matters. All of this for a life of, of actual purpose and significance that will make a real difference here on this earth, but really an eternal difference both in our life and the people all around us. He says that's a life, Paul describes it as a life that is truly life. And in this letter, Paul is reminding Timothy, he's reminding the church, he's reminding us that money is just a resource. We talked about this last week, that money is a resource God that God provides. It's not something for us to put our hope in. It's, it's a resource to be managed um, wisely, yes, but not something to put our trust in. And that God, he, he gives it to us as a way of providing for us, for our enjoyment. But it's God's desire that we will give and we will be generous with everything he has given us first. And it's in that way that he wants to work through us and he wants to work through his church. And here's the thing, when we get this individually, when we grasp this, when we let God get a hold of our heart, the things that we can do um, through the church, what Christ can do through his church is some really incredible things. Uh, we talked about this last week, that this past week we were going to um, hand out handwritten cards, cards that you all took some time to write, filled with gift cards that your collective generosity funded. And we were going to take a meal to schools in the local area um, here in Carmel. And also uh, they did the same thing in Noblesville because we wanted to find ways to bless the people in our community but the only reason we were able to do that is, yes, good deeds and time and things that you all together, we all together did, but also funded by your generosity, our generosity collectively. And so I want to show you a quick video um, just of how appreciative people were this last week as we handed these out. Man, this has been such a fun week around Genesis and our community. For the last few years, we've picked Giving Tuesday week uh, as an opportunity to say thank you to some of the schools in our community. And uh, we couldn't do this without the uh, generosity of Genesis Church. And so on Tuesday, we were able to say thanks to Forest Dale Elementary in Carmel and Creekside Middle School in Carmel. This is amazing. We appreciate this. No, sure. And then on Wednesday of this past week, we've been able to go to the Noblesville uh, bus garage. Oh, 
Right. And yeah. also here to Noblesville West Middle School again with breakfast, uh, a card, a thank you card, and a gift just to say thank you and to be able to share the love of Christ with others. Again, we couldn't do it without you, Genesis. So thanks for your generosity and for all your prayers and for helping people find their way back to God. We don't get enough holy mackerels anymore, am I right? <laughs> it, is, it is a joy to be able to watch people light up as, you get, as we were handing out these cards to them, especially when they realized there was a gift card in every single uh, envelope for their entire staff. But why do we do this? We don't do this to, to point everyone back to Genesis Church and say, hey, show up here. I mean, we'd love to have them, yes, but that's not the purpose of it. The purpose is to say, it's all about Jesus. So when they say, why would you do this? We could say, let me tell you about my father's kingdom. Let me tell you about how we live and why we live that way. I want to share with you... Um, one of the thank you cards that we received from a teacher here at Creekside Middle School, she said, I want to thank you for the morning bagels and the fruit and the generous Amazon gift card. We always love hearing from people in our community, and we appreciate the way you have showered us with kindness during a stressful time of year. Thank you. It seems like every year we do this, we'll, we'll see uh, and we'll receive some thank you cards from people and they'll continue over the next few weeks. Um, and sometimes we find out the ways that these significantly impact people. Sometimes we never know. We never know um, what kind of impact this is having. But we as a church want to grasp this idea of let's live as residents here on this earth as God, uh, a part of God's kingdom where we are generous with, with all of our resources and we want to pour it out in our community because we live in a tough world. We live in a crazy world. Um, but when we start to actively live as, uh, as representatives of God's kingdom here on earth, um, and God gets a, heart, a hold of our heart, we can do some amazing things. And ultimately, um, it's going to be through the way that God's working on us that we get to spread his gospel far and wide, the gospel of Jesus. And that's really the point, right? I mean, that's what it's all about. Is It's our mission here at Genesis Church is helping people find their way back to God. For the last several weeks, we have, uh, we've talked about the importance of giving, what it means to get started in this generosity journey. We've, we've used um, this illustration called the generosity ladder. And this is simply just to help us individually say, where am I right now? And what's a next step um, that I might take in this giving uh, journey that I'm on? What is God maybe calling me to um, where I might take a step in giving generously back to the local church? And at the beginning of the series, we talked about uh, taking the step of being a first-time giver. And this is a big step. Like if you've never given before, this is a huge first step. And we've had a number of people who have taken this first step um, over these last few weeks, which for me is really encouraging because it says God is speaking. God is, God is working on the hearts of our people here at Genesis Church. Um, and it's a step we want to encourage each of you to take potentially today or over the course of the next few weeks. Um, earlier, Dan talked about our, um, our Christmas offering. If you've never 
given before, uh, maybe this is an opportunity, a first step for you to say, okay, I'm going to give to be a part of this Christmas offering. And the second week, we talked about what it means to be a consistent giver. Uh, Maybe you've given before, uh, but maybe it's been sporadic. And this is just a way of saying, okay, I want to create a habit. Um, I want to become a consistent. I want to create a consistent habit of giving on a regular basis. I've never established this habit. And so maybe that's the step that you're feeling God is calling you to. Or last week, we talked about what it means to be an intentional giver. And this step is where giving becomes this priority for you, where it becomes the first thing you think about each month. It becomes the most important um, expense on your list. And when you, when you get to this step, you begin to maybe ask questions like, why am I giving more money to like Verizon than I am to the local church? Why am I spending more money on TV subscriptions than I am giving generously back to God? And if you're thinking that this step might be the next step for you, and you were to ask me, where do, where do I start? I would give you the same advice Jerry gave you last week. I would say 10% is a great place to start if you're wanting to become an intentional giver. Um, 10% of your income back to God um, through the local church each month. But secondly, I would say that you need to be praying about it. Ultimately, you need to be talking with God and saying, God, what are you wanting me to do? How can I be more intentional in the way that I am generous? Seven years ago, Haley and I, um, we took this step of becoming an intentional giver, but this isn't where this isn't where our story started. We got married 11 years ago. We were 19 years old. Um, we were thinking about how to survive, not how to like spend all of our money and give it all away. Like that's not what we thought. We were just thinking, how do we make it to the next paycheck? Um, what is that going to look like for us? Um, I have the tax forms to prove it, but we made like zero dollars. I'm pretty sure the first two years we were married, it was not much. It really wasn't much. And but at one point at the church that we came from, we felt like we needed to make the step of being a consistent giver. And so we just said, what can we give consistently? Like, let's give something. And so I think um, we started giving like $10, $10 a week. That's like, let's just give $10 a week. We can figure out a way to do it. And so we did that. And then we started giving $20 and like $25 a week or something like that. And this was a small percentage of our income, but we were just trying to learn how to be faithful in the way that we we gave and we wanted to to form a heart of generosity. And so we began that journey. And then it was seven years ago that we arrived at Genesis Church. And I was here and during the orientation, they were walking me through just kind of all the staff stuff. And they said, hey, um, it's also an expectation here at Genesis Church as a staff member, you would give 10% of your income. And then they kept moving on and I didn't move on. I was like, what? Um, because this was something Haley and I were growing in and we, we, hadn't, we hadn't made that leap yet. And so I remember going home and telling Haley, guess what? We're going to give back 10% of our income to the church. But you know, what? We were actually really excited because God had been working on our heart over those few years of just giving consistently. And when we started seeing those giving statements come in, we realized we could have been doing this all along. Like we could have been giving 10% of our income all along. And, I, and that's just, that's our story. Everybody's in a different place. I recognize that. But I want to stop for a moment. I want to talk to the teenagers in the room, specifically those of you who uh, maybe are, have started working at some some level mowing lawns, or you're going to shovel people's parking lots, or you're, you're working at an ice cream shop, or whatever it might be, and you're making some level of income, and you don't have any expenses. Can I just tell you what I learned? Um, I created a really bad habit when I started working at like 13, 14. I got all this money, and I didn't have to give it to anyone, so I spent it all on myself. I spent a lot of times thinking about what I could do with that money to better my life in that moment, and it's a really bad habit, and it's a really hard one to break, and so I want to encourage you, wherever you are right now, 
now that whatever money you're making, you, if you allow God to get a hold of your heart, you can start making a kingdom impact. You can learn to be generous with what God has provided um, you with. And maybe this is, maybe there's a step on this ladder you need to take as well, um, because that's a pattern all of us need to learn. It's something we need to allow God to do in our hearts. And so that's where Haley and I began, right? 11 years ago, seven years ago. It's the journey we're continuing on. We don't think that the, the journey of generosity stops at 10%. But for some of you, 10% might be the, next, the, the, first, the great step for you today, while others of you, that might feel impossible. Um, but maybe there are some of you who say, I've been giving 10% for a long time or at some level, and, and I don't, like, I'm ready for a next step. I, I don't, I don't want to stop here. Maybe you're ready to take a step of becoming a surrendered giver. And this really is the ultimate goal. It's God's desire for all of us. But please hear me when I say this. A surrendered giver has nothing to do with how much money you make or how much money you give. This step does not have to do with wealth. It's all about the heart. It's everything we've been talking about today. I think there's an amazing story in the Gospel of Mark that captures the heart of a surrendered giver. In Mark chapter 12, verse 41 through 44, it says this, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put, and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put, in more, put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. You see, the, the widow was not rich, um, but she still gave. Jesus says that out of her poverty, she gave. And so, yes, to others who are watching, out of her hands was this, this lesser offering, but out of her heart, was, she gave great riches. And Jesus calls his disciples and huddles them up. And he says, listen, this is it. This is my father's kingdom. This is how it operates. This is the heart of God. That's a surrendered giver. It's not the amount that's given. It's the heart. It's someone who, who, who is actually moved and thinks by, uh, with only one number in mind, 100%. 100% of what I have is actually God's. It's all, it's all his. It actually belongs to him. It comes from him. And maybe you're questioning, like, are there really people who live like that and think like that? And the answer is yes. And you're probably sitting next to some of them today. There are people who live like that at Genesis Church, and they're fascinating people. Um, their faith and their hope and their joy, it's encouraging. It's inspiring. They love the challenge of giving. They're strategic about how they give, but they're also impulsive. Uh, they love to be stretched and they've got stories that they could tell you um, as a result, but they've taken a hold of what Paul calls that life that is truly life. They operate as residents of God's kingdom, not their own. They've learned a very important lesson, which is you cannot outgive God. That's a surrendered giver. And that's Jesus' ultimate goal for all of us. Now, as you came in, you, you had a card like this. Um, and this is an opportunity to respond today. Um, we, no one's pressuring you to do any, anything with this today, but we are just asking if you are part of Genesis Church, if you're part of Genesis Church, if you're not, this is not for you, that you would faithfully consider, is God calling you to take a next step 
on this generosity journey that he has you on. And, and if so, you can, you can look at the back here where it, it kind of just explains, there's an explanation of each, of each step on the ladder. And on this side, it's just a worksheet where it says, take a step, current, new, method, start, date. This is a worksheet for you. We don't want to see this. This is something that you would sit down with and you would say, okay, what am I currently giving? If you've never given before, you'd write zero, right? Or you'd write down a percentage or what you are currently giving. Under new, you'd write down, okay, what is the amount that I feel God is calling me to start giving? How is he wanting to work on me and stretch me? Um, you could write a number or percentage there. And then method, that's just how am I going to do that? Am I going to do that online, setting up a reoccurring? gift? Am I going to use the envelopes and the giving uh, boxes in the back each Sunday? And the last line is really a, a really important one. When am I going to start doing this? Like God, if you feel God tugging at your heart to do something and to respond and he's, he's wanting to grow you right now, like, okay, every step has to have a starting point. Like when am I going to begin this? And then the bottom part here is perforated and it tears off you keep this piece. Um, we don't want to see that. But this here, we're asking that you would just check which box, what is God doing right now? Is, is he calling you to be a first-time giver, consistent, intentional, surrendered? And to check that box and then um, put your start date on there. And then you'll notice there's a line where it says name and it's optional. The only reason we put this on here is we recognize, and I'll say I'm this type of person. There are some people who just say, uh, I need some level of accountability if I don't put my name on it. I don't know if I'm gonna do it. That's me. You do not have to put your name on that. We're not asking you to. It's why it says optional. But we are asking you, if you're part of Genesis Church, if God is, is calling you to take the next step on that generosity ladder, check that, fill it out, and at some point today, drop those off in the giving boxes. But this is not the only day you can do this. If you need time, you need a couple weeks, uh, go home and, and, and think about this. Pray about this if you're married with your spouse. This should be a joint decision that you are making together. Don't do this on your own. Um, but take some time. And at some point over the next few weeks, then bring back this, this piece and drop it in the giving boxes. Over the course of this, this year, we had been studying through the book of Acts. And I hope that as a church, we, uh, we started to grasp what was going on in that early church, that, that, they, that they were moved by the Holy Spirit, that it was Jesus that got a hold of that early church and they wanted to make an impact in their community. And in Acts 2, it says that they were gathering daily, they were worshiping, they were eating together, they were selling their possessions, um, they were selling um, their properties so that they could give to anybody who is in need. And it says the Lord added to their number daily because of it. That's the mission. That's what we want to be about here at Genesis Church. We want to help people find their way back to God. And we want less of ourselves, less of me, and more of Jesus. And so we're going to close today by worshiping like we do most weeks. But before we do that, I'm going to pray. And then I just want to give us an opportunity to sit and to be and just uh, listen for God in whatever way he's calling us um, to respond in whatever way he's asking us to individually. And then we'll worship together. Let's pray. God, we want you to have our whole heart. Um, would you help us to begin to see things the way that you see things? God, when you speak, um, we recognize that you're talking about things that just don't make sense to this world because you're talking about your kingdom. Help us to see that perspective. Teach us what it, what it looks like to store up treasures in heaven and not here on earth. Teach us to, to grab a hold of the life that is truly life, that makes an internal impact, uh, eternal impact, God. And, and I just uh, 
Just pray that you continue to work on our hearts. Do whatever you want to do individually in each of our lives. God, help our church to be a church that is more of your son and less of ourselves. We pray all of this in your son's name. Amen.